didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. Beginning of a new world. The best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black Cat Report. See you on the other side. Now, before we dig into the five days of monster sightings that took place, I'd like to make a special note. What distinguishes the Van Meter Visitor from other cryptid encounters is not just its physical appearance, but how the story builds. You see, it's not just going to be the intensity of the encounters, but the actual number of people that will see the creature at the same time. Unlike, say, the Mothman, where sightings and reports always come back to individuals and small groups, this case literally escalates to the point of there being a full-fledged town posse attempting to ambush the cryptid. And what happens when they do this, in my opinion, does not disappoint. With that said, welcome everybody to episode 34 of the Black Cat Report. My name is Gil, and I'm joined by the international Betsabe. Hola. The local Joey. I'm here and ready to listen, Gil. <laughs> And the beautiful Selena is sleeping in prep for her shift super fucking early tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> now, first things first. I'd like to give a shout out to our main reference for today's episode, The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown by Kevin Lee Nelson, Noah Voss, and Chad Lewis. Working as a team of paranormal investigators, these folks took a huge road trip around Iowa where they traveled from town to town digging through old newspaper articles and finding historical references for a number of cases thought to just be urban legends. It's a darn good book, and as always, I'll be including links in the show notes so that you can either grab a copy on Amazon or borrow one from your local library. <laughs> local libraries. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly, it's, um, what is it called? Interrupt the show here. Sorry. Sorry, future listeners. A local um, library. Wor <coughs> Worldcat.org. Um, I, I don't remember how I came across it, but if you go to worldcat.org, you can type in the title of any book, and it will show you all of the libraries around the world that have that book available. And you can do all sorts of stuff with a free sign-up or a free membership with it where you can have the book transferred to your library so that you can rent it from it and, like, move books around the country and around the world. And it's actually, like, yes, pretty dope. Like, first off... No, like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I, I'm guilty of this, but I, but I do want to still say, like, uh, like, I don't go there enough, but I do want to say we should still support our libraries. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, let's awesome keep resources. supporting our local libraries, yep. like... All right. They need to keep going. Yep. Hell yeah. Now, with all that said, let's dive into this week's story with a little background about the town where this all takes place and the time period it's set in. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, central Iowa was absolutely awash with sightings of strange cryptids, paranormal encounters, ghosts, demonic figures, you name it. I'm talking giant sea serpents, a Loch Ness turtle wow. monster, ghost bridges, a weird wild, wild man, like th this place and this time period is almost like a database for any researcher wanting to look into all the weird and strange things that they could possibly find. Like it's just so many cases of high strangeness, unique cryptids, and just basically a lot of awesome shit. Well, 
I know. Why is it always 1800s where all this weird stuff just happened? And like, it, it's always like in a random town like Iowa. <laughs> a random state like Iowa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what is that place? I, no one knows. It's, it's as hard <laughs> to find as Atlantis. At least that's what I heard last. But, <laughs> well, while I'm sure this won't be our only foray into the Fortean Fountain that is Iowa, this week we're going to be narrowing down our scope to focus in on what I can only describe as an old-timey mothman terrorizing an old-timey town. Just what the world needs. <laughs> right? Good old American tradition. All right, so. Yes. <laughs> so we're brought to Van Meter, Iowa, 1903. Barely past the turn of the century, the Model A Ford had just been released. The Wright brothers wouldn't make their maiden flight in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina until December of that year, officially bringing in the human era of aviation. All of this means that at this point in time, if you ain't on a horse or a train, you're walking. And so what does this have to do with Van Meter? Well, it was geographically in the middle of nowhere, a town of about a thousand residents, all living within a quarter mile. It could best be described as having a small but dense population. And by 1903, after working hard to recover their little town's economy from the closing down of their largest coal mine, which was their main source of employment, nearly everything had transitioned over to supporting a brick and tile factory, Sands. A small, mining, a small mining operation that still remained kind of over on the edge of town and ignored. So to recap, it's a small, densely populated town with an old coal mine that has the look and feel of every Wild West movie you've ever seen. Every one of them. Now, <laughs> now let's dig into the story. <laughs> now let's dig into the story. Ooh, and quick listener note, the first encounter is entirely underwhelming, so I've spiced it up with a historically and demographically inaccurate retelling, so please forgive me. I do believe this <laughs> is based off of the uh, movie called Wild Wild West featuring the wonderful uh, Will Smith. Yes, yes. And Tom <laughs> was Tommy Lee Jones in that? No, no, that was Men in Black. Wait, who is that? Mm. Yeah, I can't. I'm trying to think <laughs> was who was the say. other guy. <clears throat> yeah, same thing. I want to say Jude Law, but it wasn't Jude Law. Someone but, that just looked like Jude Law. Yeah, like Jude Brawl or something like that. Yeah. First sighting, Tuesday, September 29th, 1903 at 1 a.m. It had been a long day for Mr. Griffith, a local quote-unquote implement dealer, a.k.a. tool guy, who despite the brisk fall air whipping against his face, held on to his notoriously chipper demeanor as he proceeded to walk the final stretch of streets and passageways that would lead him home. Tool, 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 toolin' around. My name is Mr. Griffith, the tool guy in town. <laughs> but then, just as he approached his driveway, Mr. Griffith would spot something strange. Oi, I have something strange. Seems to be a light on top of the old Mathers and Craig's building. Don't suppose it would hurt if I went to go take a look. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As he drew near, he began wondering what it might be. Maybe it's an airplane. No, those won't be invented for another couple months. <gasps> Maybe it's an apple. No, it's too shiny to be an apple. 
<laughs> then something peculiar happened. Holy Jesus, Mary and Joseph, that light just went from one side of the street to the other. Just after the incredible leap, though, the light went out. Well, I've seen enough for the evening. Might as well get back to the missus, I missus. Ain't no sense in Mr. Griffith getting involved in no one's business but the tool business. He then frantically oh, waddle-walked his way back home. When did he become a British Beatles? I know. Why does he have a British accent? I just picture, this is Iowa. I just picture Ringo Starr being like, Oi, what's that over there? Oi. I'm just going to go play me drums. <laughs> What is yep. happening? <laughs> okay, first off, none of the records say that he wasn't British. That's one mark. Okay. <laughs> Second off, the actual retelling of the first encounter is so boring. It's a guy. He's coming home. Sees a light. Walks towards the light. The light moves to the end of the street. He's like, hmm, goes home. Super fucking boring. All right, <laughs> I'm doing this for you. Also, Rewind, Thank you. rewind the tapes. I already apologized. <laughs> and to be no, I love to it. To be fair, that would be a story that I would tell. I would just come home and just be like, "Yeah, I know I that's light, so you." And, uh, there's not really much detail, so it's fine. It's whatever. Eh, whatever. And I'm just like, please give me the details. <laughs> Those are the details. <laughs> Wow. No, thank you, Gil. I love the British <laughs> accent. It's great. Keep it going, even though it's in Iowa. <laughs> like, why? Okay. Doesn't make sense, but that's okay. cool. I have to, I cannot emphasize enough. This story will pick up in intensity of encounters. But dear mm -hmm. God, it's a slow start for that first story. All right. So, anyway. So, you're saying that. British people are more fun because that's why you switch his accent. Well, the internal commentary, much more funny. No, it is. I agree. I've been saying this for years. Same. Sounds Same. better if you're British. Fast forward now to the next night, Wednesday, September 30th at 1230 a.m. Less than 24 hours after Mr. Griffith's vague sighting of a strange light jumping from one roof to another, there would come to be the first clear encounter of the monster now stalking Van Meter. Dr. Alcott, described at the time as quote-unquote a plucky little fellow, was resting peacefully in his bed located on the second floor above his office. Without warning, an intense light flooded into his room, striking him in the face and shocking him awake. With one swift motion and no hesitation, Dr. Alcott wrapped his tiny hands around a, quote, gun of immense proportions and proceeded to run down the stairs, ready to deal with whatever the hell had woken him up. Bursting through the door, gun drawn, probably in his underwear, Dr. Alcott found himself standing only feet away from the last thing anyone would expect to see an eight-foot-tall, bat-like humanoid with a large horn coming from the center of its head. Now, here's where it gets even weirder. The intense light was coming from the end of the horn. Well, Wow. <laughs> this is fucking weird. Well, Dr. Alcott, clearly not someone to fuck with, proceeded to unload five rounds at point-blank range into the beast. When the cool fall breeze quickly pulled the smoke away, Dr. Alcott was left standing in horror as he realized the monster hadn't budged an inch. With one round left in his six-shooter, Alcott took off, running back into his house where he frantically locked every door and window before hiding in his room until morning. 
Wow. Okay, but like, is this a true story? This was, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. Okay, so so that team of paranormal investigators, you know, researchers or whatever like that, they found newspaper clippings from all around the state documenting the stories coming out from this specific time period. Like, they went through and dug up the story, and they were like, wait, what the fuck? And they just found out about all these crazy events. I also really would like to emphasize here a lot of these folks later become incredibly well-respected members of the community, right? Like this doctor, the only doctor in town. I mean, that- The only one. <laughs> that also- In not, Iowa. I, I'm not sure if that qualifies him as very well-respected or just like nobody's allowed to question him. But the point is- I know, because he's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the only one. He's also one of the most dangerous people in town. I just want to emphasize what the hell kind of doctor reacts with a handgun when he gets woken up at night. The doctor with the tiny <laughs> oh hands. Like, oh. This doctor, this doctor scares them. Like, you are not allowed to make night calls with this doctor. Like, hey, gotta <laughs> respect his time. He just, like, immediately, who the fuck woke me up? Get a goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm gonna blast you, it's gonna get back here. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what the fuck? This, this tiny doctor is just fucking going off. But I mean, I, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're the only doctor in town, accidents might happen at 1 a.m. Maybe. <laughs> I don't, I, don't they have, like, the Hippocratic Oath, like, do no harm? I don't know. I, it's just, it's confusing. But to be fair, so, he's in the right place at the right time, because if it was a person trying to intrude on his house, he could have just sewed him right up after he shot him five times. So he would have been, it would, that's true. true. The criminal is, like, breaking into the right house. That's true, but in all fairness... He ran outside to confront the criminal. <laughs> the criminal never went into his house. He's in he Iowa. He just saw a light. He's in Iowa. It's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Anyways, okay. So, by the third night of the monster's rampage, Thursday, October 1st, word of Mr. Griffith's and Dr. Alcott's encounters had spread across the tiny Iowa town. While some viewed the stories as an hallucination, many felt that they may have been an exaggeration of encounters with ne'er-do-wells, potential bandits lurking around town. And this was the mindset of one young man, future bank president and future mayor of Van Meter, Clarence Dunn, a.k.a. Peter. I have no clue why his common name was Peter. Um, <laughs> as, he made his way, <laughs> sorry, as he made his way that Thursday night to the bank he worked at. Worried the strange lights might be bank robbers trying to plan a heist, Peter was going to spend the night at the bank with a shotgun full of buckshot at the ready and wait out any would-be bad guys that would try to get in. Like This dude was dedicated. I mean, like, he didn't know at the time Respect. he'd become... Yeah, he didn't know at the time he'd become, like, president of the bank or anything like that, but I'm just gonna say he earned it. You know what I'm saying? He I'm gonna say yeah. if I'm gonna put my money in a bank back in those days, I'm putting in that guy's bank. He will protect oh, it yeah. with his blood. <laughs> yeah, no. Seriously. Clarence done gets it done. Mm -hmm. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All was silent as the hours passed. The town's clock tower sounding out the hours with a steady, if not dragging, reminder of the boredom his adrenaline once stoked to anticipation. Well, as with the two nights before, the tower would come to strike a single bell, 1 a.m and the time would not disappoint. 
On the tail end of the bell's toll, Peter heard a sound rising of what he later described as either a human or an animal being strangled. Confused and gripping his shotgun tight, he barely had time to take a step towards the windows before being made disoriented by a powerful beam of light hitting him in the face. Moments passed and his eyes began to adjust to the reality that there was something large in the lobby with him, rapidly moving throughout the room, first in a scanning motion, before finally darting straight towards Peter. He raised up his gun, took aim, and at point-blank range, fired, shattering the windows behind the beast, but just as rapidly as it had darted through the room, it disappeared out through the busted windows. Jeez. Convinced he had hit the creature and likely killed it, but too scared to go check, Peter waited, shotgun in hand, for the next six hours until finally the morning sun rose. With the new day's light bringing a renewed confidence, Peter proceeded to make his way outside, hoping to find the body of the beast. But, upon reaching the window he had blown out, all he found was a set of three toad tracks, of which newspapers at the time reported casts were made. They've since been lost, but... A lot of newspapers reported them being made and like photos yeah. and shit. You remember in the Pemex in the Pemex uh, invasion or the Pemex yeah. UFO incident, they also had three mm-hmm. three toed uh, little tracks around that they sell too as well. That's a damn good point. That's a damn good point. We're gonna have to look up. Uh, not to give any spoilers, but uh, we're gonna have to look up uh, if there's any coal mines near Pemex. Go. <clears throat> mm. All right. So So to do a quick recap, over the last three nights, there have been three separate witnesses to the beast, two of which have shot it at point-blank range with no effect. And each time the creature has appeared, it's been around 1 a.m. We've also learned that if you have a late-night medical emergency, do not go to Dr. Alcott's house. Motherfucker is crazy. (laughs) Well, (laughs) this all brings us to the next set of encounters. Well, Peter blowing out the front windows of the bank only raised tensions in Van Meter. Again, this is a really small town, and that is their only bank. Everyone who lived there or traveled through it had to, had to have asked about why the windows were smashed out like Nike Town in Seattle. Rumors grew and so did fear, and while clearly there is no absence of gun lovers in this town, at this point, many that evening would be pulling them off their gun racks and going to bed with them loaded and sitting on their nightstand, ready for any scenario. Like, I can't emphasize enough from like reports at the time, people were freaking the fuck out. Like, at this point, For there's sure. been three consecutive nights of this. Um, one of them is somebody who obviously is well-respected. I mean, they're eventually going to go on to become bank president or CEO or whatever, and then they're going to become mayor. Like, they're really well-known in town, right? Another one's the town's only doctor. Another another one is an implement slash, I don't know, tool guy that <laughs> for for some unknown reason was just getting home at 1 a.m. from selling tools. I still can't figure out He's a drug why dealer. somebody selling t- <laughs> He's a drug dealer. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he got that good 1900s cocaine. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I, good stuff. Why the hell is Mr. Griffith just getting home at 1 a.m.? Yeah, <laughs> Either that or seeing his mistress or question. something like that. Whoa, see, that's how rumors start. Oh, I think he's dead now, so Mr. I don't think it matters. <laughs> Mr. Griffith is a damn good man, and I will not have you sully his fine name. 
Yeah, that's his reputation. <laughs> he was out practicing with his with his quartet. His implements. Um, so, his implements. <laughs> well, <clears throat> ready for any scenario. As was the case with one Mr. White. No, not the same Mr. White you just thought of. Unless you didn't just think of him. Anyways, co-owner of the Fisher and White Hardware and Furniture Store located in town, Mr. White lived and slept above the store. Well, normally, he'd feel comfortable and content, safe in his small apartment. That night, Mr. White was left alone to fight off the anxiety of every bump, breeze, and raindrop that met the timber of the shop as he slowly drifted to sleep. His fear wouldn't be wasted. Shortly before midnight, his paranoia would soon find purpose when a loud rasping noise, which I don't understand what that is, would startle him awake. Jumping up from his bed, gun in hand, he ran over to and opened his second floor bedroom window. As he gazed out along Main Street, looking for the source of the sounds, his eyes brought him to the reality that standing on a telephone pole, only 15 feet away from him, was a huge, dark figure. As was tradition in Van Meter, Mr. White lifted up his firearm, took aim, and let off a round directly at the beast. And, as was tradition with the beast, being shot didn't do a damn thing except, quote, wake it up. The beast <laughs> then turned and looked directly at Mr. White, light on its horn shining straight at him. It was at this point, Mr. White would report later that two things happened. The first, an overwhelming terrible odor filled the air. The second, his mind became hazy and he lost memory after this. Now, I'll admit, upon first reading this account, it sounds more like either A, it was all the dream, or B, he reacted the way I would have, by shitting myself and then passing out. <laughs> but no, there's more to this. I mean, Mis who wouldn't? I would have just straight up shit myself and passed out. <laughs> like, just, yeah. Oh! That's a valid way to react gone. to that. Just gone. Could you imagine you're on the second floor of a building? You look out the window. You're like, where the fuck is he? Where the fuck is he? And then you like <laughs> kind of just casually look over to the right. And he's like literally like eye level next to you. And you're like, shit. Oh. <laughs> like, just, you're out. Like you're, you're done, son. You're done. <laughs> I just think this thing was very horny. So he just... <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> Accurate. All right. <laughs> when Mr. White fired his gun, it woke up another shop owner, Sidney Gregg, who was also sleeping in his store just around the corner. When the shot rang out, Mr. Gregg jumped from bed and ran out the front door, only to see a massive creature climbing down a telephone pole the way a parrot climbs down a branch with its beak. Yes, it's as okay. weird as I just said. Have you ever seen a parrot just kind of like going down yeah. a tree? Yeah, everybody's shaking their heads. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's what this thing was doing. It was climbing down that's a telephone. That's so weird. <laughs> and then once it got to the bottom, um, it was standing on two legs. Also fucking weird. Anyways, once the beast was this on the ground. This whole episode is weird. <laughs> hell yeah. Once the beast was on the ground, it stood up straight and proceeded to use what I assume scientists call its headlamp horn thingy to search around the area. The strange beast took its time, using its built-in spotlight to look around the town before finally spreading open its massive, featherless, bat-like wings and flapping them as it took huge leaps and bounds away like a kangaroo. 
this thing's fucking cool. weird. <laughs> and then the, then, the then the guy looking through the window turns to his right and just sees this old lady smoking in a, a rocking chair going like, I do see that too. And he's like, oh, that's what the raspy noise was. Third night now. <laughs> that's the third night now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cracks open a tall boy. Yep. All right. So <laughs> now all this brings us to Saturday, October 3rd. Less people are taking this as a joke. The town is now near full panic mode and wondering what the hell this creature might be. By that evening, over on the edge of town, workers in the small mine that was still in operation were beginning to report that they were hearing strange noises coming from deep in the coal shafts below the earth. This is frightening, right? Mm-hmm. Well, tensions were rising, and so was the proof. Van Meter had a visitor. Now that night, the very sounds the miners had been reporting started bellowing out from the entrance of the old decommissioned mine, which was located right next to the brick and tile factory. Now, to give you an idea of just how loud these sounds were, they could be heard at a brick and tile factory. Now, I've never been to one of these, but there's no way in hell that these places are quiet. Can you just imagine a place? (laughs) Okay. Not in the 1800s, especially. The 1900s. I mean, I don't think silence when I think of bricks. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, by 1 a.m., J.L. Platt Jr., the operations manager working that night, had had enough. By now, pretty much all of the workers in the factory were regularly hearing the strange sounds and starting to complain about it. And so he and a few men made the 660-foot walk which I'm pretty sure they missed about six feet, from the factory to the entrance of the old coal mine. Well, just before reaching said entrance, there was a bright flash, and not one, but two of these weird cryptids stood in the opening. The eight-foot-tall, horned Mothman thing, and a slightly shorter, identical-looking Mothman thing. Hmm. <laughs> this is my buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's my girlfriend. <laughs> um, <laughs> the men from the factory were frozen in astonishment. The creatures in front of them simply shouldn't exist, but they were there. A few moments passed before both of the beasts began flapping their wings and took to the sky, sailing off into the night. I can only imagine listening to "Come sail away, come sail away, oh, come I love sail that song. away with me, lads." Yes. <laughs> Uh, I almost included that sound clip, but then Selene was like, I don't know if you should. And I'm like, but we can. And she's like, I don't know if you should, but do it if you want to. And then I didn't. That was totally on me. Mm. Um, <laughs> all right. So needless to say, the rest of the shifts at the factory were canceled that evening. The men of the town had a new job. Monster hunting. Yeah. Now, I wish. <laughs> I fucking swear to God. God damn it. I love what's about to happen. <clears throat> so Ghostbusters, but with monsters. Woo! All right. So mm-hmm. yeah, b- basically, basically that. Like, picture every movie with a monster you've ever seen in your life. Okay, there's always the fucking town scene. Everybody's all riled up. That's the shit that's about to happen. But we actually have documentation that it happened. <laughs> this shit I happened. Love it. I, I mean, love it. <laughs> as much as any other historical event has been documented. 
So has this one. That shit's fucking Amazing. great. Amazing. I'm fucking here for this shit, bro. All right. So <clears throat> now I wish what I'm about to say was an exaggeration of what happened that night. But according to a local newspaper reporter who showed up, interviewed, and documented what went down, this shit really happened. Armed with the knowledge of where the beast lives, and now knowing there's two of them, the men of the tile and brick factory rushed home, grabbing their biggest guns and proceeded to wake up everyone in town, besides Dr. Alcott, I'm assuming since no one was reported shot that night. Anyways, <laughs> the plan they hatched was simple. <laughs> Turn on every goddamn light in town for the few folks they left behind to keep watch, while the new mob of hundreds of armed men set up an ambush outside of the entrance to the old coal mine this shit is full-on torches and pitchfork style mobbing and i'm fucking here for it baby Woo! oh my god gil is that oh an god. ak-47 hell yeah it is joey and we're fucking going in there. yeah brother oh yeah god. brother yeah america all right so Iowa. <laughs> I know. All right. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Pretty much every guy that can hold a gun creeps into position and hides in the trees and bushes around the coal mine entrance and they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. Until finally, it's 5.46 a.m. and the motherfuckers come home. Now, here's where it all pops off. <laughs> the creatures land and start walking towards the coal mine cave. All of a sudden, the serene calm of the morning is ripped apart as every gun there opens fire. Thousands of hot shells crashing, flying everywhere, bouncing on the ground. It looks like the breath of the devil himself as the air burns with peppery tastes of gun smoke, consuming everything visible. The monsters, they begin shrieking with a piercing scream as the acrid smell that once knocked out Mr. White only days earlier begins overtaking everyone's senses. And then the smoke clears, revealing the monsters still fully intact, still walking towards the entrance of the coal mine. Needless to say, the Van Meter Visitor Committee, a.k.a. Monster Hit Squad, stood in silence, completely flabbergasted by what they had just seen. Some men broke down into defeat. Others, still high on adrenaline, couldn't stop talking about it. Time passed, and for the ones still willing to stick around and deal with the situation, a new plan developed. A barricade. Folks from around town gathered whatever they could and brought it to the entrance, hopefully realizing there's literally a brick factory next door. Anyways, they worked all day on it until finally they had the entrance to the mine completely closed off. That night, we can only assume many stood watch around town, waiting while nothing appeared. Same as the next night, and the next night until weeks, months, and finally years would pass by without any other sighting. And that is the story of the Van Meter Visitor. So, okay, <laughs> I can see, like you just said, 
I can see these people going to their houses, pulling off the wood off of their walls and off of their stuff and boarding it up. And then some guys just sitting, some kids just sitting there looking at them do this and just like looks around, looks at the brick and it's just sitting right next to him. And he's just like, I think that would have been a little easier. And they're looking at it like, huh? And their house You're falls fine. down. <laughs> their house falls <laughs> yeah, down. Their house falls down. Yeah. As there's, I, I just also, need to get this. This joist out from yeah. under that. Hoisting it down. <laughs> At least we yeah. trapped that monster. Got him. I can. He didn't do a goddamn thing to us, but we got him. He just. Like, he looked at me. <laughs> I really want to point out the fact at no point, at literally no point in all of this, were the monsters aggressive. They didn't do anything. They were just fucking chilling. They bounced around town. They might have been night owls or night bats or night mothman humanoids. Whatever. Doesn't matter. The point is, is like, they didn't do anything to anybody. Like, nobody came up missing, right? Like, nobody had their blood sucked. There weren't, like, goats being harvested and, like, brought up into the air or some shit. Like, you know, like, the bank wasn't short 20 bucks. I don't know. The point is, like, nothing bad happened to anybody in the town. Frankly, anytime. They were just there. Yeah, it was just kind of, like, they're hanging out and you know, just existing, and they were like, "Fuck you!" I know, like, you know like, and uh, that's why aliens don't come and visit because they see how we react to new things. Yeah, this is really an episode about why you suck and aliens don't like us. That's the point. Exactly. Yeah, you, the listener, fucking blows, and aliens <laughs> won't come because of people like you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not you, because you listen to us. And if you listen to us, you already feel that way. But the people around you that don't, they fucking suck. Hey, yes. you know what really happened? You're better than them. What really happened <laughs> to them? So as they were putting the barricades up, right? They were put All these townspeople were putting the barricades up, and then like this lonesome stranger walks through the town, comes through, like struts <laughs> through. I can't. Not with an AK-47. <laughs> He struts through, and everyone's looking at him, and he takes off his hat, his ball cap, with his little backpack on, his little rat that follows him, (laughs) and he goes in there and is like, he just goes, I'll take care of it. And everyone's like, do you you know who that guy is? That's Ash Ketchum. He's going in there to catch them all. And that was the end of... That, I mean, him. I mean, you could yep. you could have gave a spoiler alert, but that was actually and of Pokemon Cole, yes, which yes. Hasn't, <laughs> hasn't yet been released, yes, um, due to a missing Ash Ketchum, um, yes. Uh, well, uh, Ash did follow the Cole, so I mean, it was kind of oh, <laughs> nice. That was good. That was uh, that's what they pay. Me. That's what I'm paid here for. So yeah, yeah that's. But um, yeah. Sh- Yep. <laughs> that was good. Okay, so why <laughs> are these stories not like in the history book? <laughs> what do you mean they are? No, like in history books. Uh, You're just reading lame history books. It's what history of, books do it's you read? It's because of big government. <laughs> I do believe that's I mean, not in honestly, history. It's not it's it's big it's yeah. big public school. <laughs> Cause this is like history if you really think about it. You big know, big textbooks. This this, this shit is fascinating to me okay full disclosure here okay we were going to do a um 
and we might do it in the future if I can get my mind in the right spot. We were going to do a conspiracy episode, but I struggle with conspiracies because they're so fucking stupid. Okay. So I really have a hard time with Are them. Are they though? Yes. The deep level <laughs> conspiracy is the ones worth dedicating 45 minutes to, you know, 85 minutes or whatever to are fucking dumb. Like some of them are really fucking stupid because they're just like referencing points in history that didn't exist. And then they're like, check your history books. And then you do. And there's no reference for them. And I don't, I don't, I don't have the passion for that. Some shit like this. Right. So I have passion for shit like this, where it's like, there's tons of accounts, right? Yeah. Records. Like, Like, yeah, there's like, personal records there's stories that were handed down there were people that were interviewed who were alive at the time who were children who watched their dad come home and be like yep i was fucking involved in this shit you know like that kind of shit that shit's fascinating to me because it's like connecting back to to a potentially like almost lost point in history in human history that shit fucking fascinates the fuck out of me. And it's really fun to explore. It's like, there's a shit ton of people. There's references all over the place, right? There's historical records, all this great shit. Conspiracy shit where it's just like, well, you can trust it because he brought up this other thing, which actually, if you check this Wikipedia article, which doesn't actually have a citation, it references, and that's why the ocean's blue. And you're just like, what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? Like, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This week, I literally Googled, okay, um, town terrorized by cryptid. That's what I did. I typed in town terrorized by cryptid, and this is what came up. And you know what? I'm glad it did. And you know what? It was a town terrorized by a cryptid. That's all I'm saying. I had no points with that. Thank you for sharing. This this story is fascinating to me because, um, A, it meets the archetype of a town dealing with a monster. What case, what situation, what scenario do we have in history where it's actually a town dealing with a monster in the way that movies have presented it, right? Like, we don't. We don't have these cases. We don't have these incidences. But it has happened. And upwards of five, six, seven hundred people witnessed it that's fucking fascinating. I love the hell out of that. Like, literally, hundreds of people shot at these things. <laughs> and, like, it just got boarded up and forgotten. I don't know. There's a lot more to our history than we think, that's all. I really do think... I agree. Uh, I think that uh, it's not a very good uh, marketing strategy for the gun lobbyists. Uh, I do believe they actually hid this story because they're like, damn, our bullets aren't doing good against cryptids, so we got to kind of hide this stuff or else people aren't going to buy our weapons. So that is, mm-hmm. that is an interesting theory. I was also thinking that maybe there's a slight chance the train that delivered ammunition only delivered blanks that week. Mm. And they fucked up. They mislabeled it at the general store. Um and so everybody's like, this thing's impervious. But like, really, it just yeah. wasn't doing anything. And they were just like, oh, are you shooting me? You know, and then yeah. just like, <laughs> kept fucking walking along its way. Come yeah. sail away. You know, like yeah. doing his thing. <laughs> um, also, could have been. I mean, that's annoying. Thing. It could have been Big Coal, too. You know, they didn't want. They didn't want people Big thinking coal. that all these things were down there, you know, in their coal plants. They wanted people be, to keep mining coal, I guess, in those days. 
So wait, does that mean that we're working for Big Cole because we're revealing this? No, yes. no, because that would no? shut Big Cole down if they said that they were down in those mines because no one would want to work down there. That's true. It's always the bigger hmm. picture. God damn it, it is. Mm -hmm. And these monsters were just trying to help. Oh. Literally not doing anything, just flying around <laughs> horny and advertising it. Horny and lighten. Um. <laughs> horny and lighten everything up. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, if you think about it, that's history all the time. Like, there's wars just because people get afraid of each other just because they don't know what's going on. And that's literally it. I mean, it's happening right now with China, with Russia, and it all because they fear each other and they don't know each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it has I think it has more to do with them not understanding each other's cryptids, but controversial opinion. I think I there's that. Uh, yeah, I think the cryptids could have stopped the wars, honestly. They they could have. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the Van Meter Visitor. We're getting ever closer to getting our merch website set up, so be on the lookout for information on that in future episodes and on our Instagram. Remember to like, review, and follow our page wherever you get your podcasts. We love to keep putting out content to you all every week. And we'll see you next week on the other side.